We're continuing, um, obviously. Uh, you're, you're picking up on the theme, and, and we continue to be dealing with this um, idea of, of small groups. We're three weeks into our four-week Just Say Yes series, um, and I'll, you know this by now, but I'm obligated to remind you because it's, it's something in my contract. That's a joke. I don't have a contract. Um, doesn't matter. Here's the deal. We are in the middle of a push to have 100% of those adults that call Blessed Hope home involved in small group. So, in case you haven't heard this yet, um, either I have not said it as many times as I should have, or you, you know, you, you've missed it, or, or whatever the case is, listen here, let me tell you, if you call Blessed Hope home, we as in the staff at the church, your elders, and your, um, even your ministry team leaders, those that are involved in leadership at the church, we believe that you need to be plugged in to a small group. One, because it's good for you. Two, especially this semester, okay, because this semester we're dealing with a topic that we believe is sorely needed in the church and in the world that we live in. So if you are not signed up for a small group and you are an adult who calls Blessed Hope your home, listen carefully to me. You are in the, the great minority of adults in the church. Uh, any, any given Sunday when it's not Labor Day weekend or State Fair weekend or something like that, we have about 160-ish adults that are here. Okay? Right now, we have about 120 adults that are signed up for small group. That means that 120 people have taken that challenge and they've run with it. Many of them did, needed no convincing. Several of them needed prodding and pushing. Several of you still refuse. And I want to challenge you. Because for some of you, it, it really just is a matter of refusal. Okay? And so, really quickly, before we get into the text, I want to walk through this. Um, this is the question we've been using to drive this series. Andy Stanley gets credit for this question. In light of my past experience, my current circumstances, and my hopes and dreams for the future, what is the wise thing for me to do? We brought this question out when we talked about time. We talked about people that are like, you know what, I just, I don't have time for small group. We heard, we heard from Nicole Lutz that, you know what, um, probably we do. It's just a matter of priority. It's a matter of deciding what's wise. So we ask, you know, in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my hopes and dreams for the future, what is the wise thing for me to invest in? Last week, we talked about this idea that we need it. We heard from Denny Hummel as he said, you know what, we need to be in small group. We need to keep growing. There is no finish line. We never get there, okay? Uh, and we took a look at this. This idea that what people are putting into the church oftentimes is what you're taking out of it, okay? Um, and so if you are somebody who's in this quadrant here, your corporate involvement is low. That means you're not really coming many Sundays. You know, yeah, Blessed Hope is my home, and I get there once a month maybe. You know, maybe once a quarter. Definitely every Easter, right? I'm always there on Easter, unless I got something else going on, right? But when you go to the hospital... And they ask you, well, what church do you want us to contact? Oh, Blessed Hope, that's my church. 
If that's you, if you're a blessed hope person, but you're never here and you're not involved in anything, then you are what we would call a nominal Christian or a nominal part of the church. You are part of the church. Nominal simply means in name only. Okay, it means you're connected to the church in name only. You're not involved, you're not plugged in, you're not growing, nothing's happening. Okay, but here's where a lot of us want to live. We come to church most Sundays, but we don't really get plugged in in anything else. You know, we, we, don't, we don't stick around for things. Perfect example. Some of you are already figuring that as soon as we hit the last song, you're out the door. Potluck be darned, you're not staying. Okay, you'll come, you'll sing songs, you'll hear the sermon, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll drink the coffee, you'll, you'll be here, but then you're gone as soon as it happens. And what, what that is, is, is that's wanting to be um, anonymous. Okay? I need you to track me for a second. There are many of you that look around the room on any given Sunday and don't know half the people that are here. And you lament it. You make jokes about it. You laugh about it. And deep down, you're angry. I mean, you can say you're not, but you and I both know. If you look in the mirror and you look in your heart, deep down, you're angry that the church is bigger than it used to be because you feel like you've lost something. You feel like you've lost a family connection. You feel like you've lost an intimacy. You feel like you've lost something. Listen to me. If that's where you find yourself, I get it. But then what excuse do you have for not being up here? Because that's where it comes from. Listen to me. The church must grow. Some of you really struggle with that statement. When I say the church must grow, you say, no, it's not. It's not about numbers. It's not about numbers. What are we doing if we are not in the business of making disciples? It is all about numbers. Not numbers so that I can feel good about myself as a pastor. Not numbers so that we can say Blessed Hope is better than any other church. But numbers, because numbers represent souls that were lost that shouldn't be lost. Because the gospel is absolutely worth us wanting to grow and build the kingdom. It's worth us doing things that we don't always necessarily love to do in ministry because it builds and grows the kingdom. It's worth us putting our preferences aside and pushing ahead in ways that grow and build the kingdom. If that's not the business we are about, then we are in the wrong business as a church. And so if you're stuck over here wishing it was like it used to be, and look, there are things I always wish things were like they used to be. I get that. But if you haven't got excited about the fact that this church is actively in the business of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples, there's a disconnect. And as your pastor, I want you to trust me that this is what we're supposed to be about. And this is what we're doing as we move ahead. And this is good. And it's biblical. And it's right. Okay, so we're going to jump in today. And uh, you saw from the video that today we're dealing with that issue of, for some of us, we assume small groups is going to be a little touchy-feely. You heard, you heard Scott 
and Job refer to it multiple times. Well, it's not all talking about feelings, holding hands, singing kumbaya. Like, I've been in small groups for a long time. I have not once, not even ironically, saying kumbaya. We did talk about Care Bear staring once, but that was supposed to be ironic. It's not that. You get to small group, it's not group therapy. But some of us have this idea in our mind, when I, when I go to small group, that, that it's a little bit too girly. It's a little bit too touchy-feely. It's not for me. And, and so we're going to deal with that, that myth today, the myth that says, I'm probably too manly for small group. Okay? And, and what I'm going to ask you is, I'm going to ask you to reframe that thought. It's not, are you too manly for small group? It's simply this, are you man enough? To be in small group. And we're going to see as we look at what scripture has to say and we look at the character of Jesus Christ who ultimately is the godly man that we want to emulate. When we look at that, we're going to see the question isn't I'm too much of a man. It's am I manly enough to do these things? And so we're going to speak specifically to men today. Ladies, it's okay. I promise. Because there is application here for you, I promise you there is application here for you. Okay? But specifically, we're speaking to men today about this issue. Okay? And we're going to look at what godly manhood looks like, just to a degree. Okay? And here's here's where the value in that comes. As men, or as wives and mothers... Okay, or as women that, that hope to be married at some point in time, we need to know what godly men look like. We need to know how to encourage godly men. We need to know how to pour into godly men. Okay, and if you're here and you have no sons and you have no husband and you don't plan on having sons or husbands or you have no more sons, I w- here, here's what I would say. It's still worthwhile for you. Because here's what I promise. One, there's application. And two, when the men of God get serious about living like men of God with fierce, tender, passionate strength, then they grow and their families grow and the spiritual health of the church grows and we can be more intentional about community revival than we've ever been. We talk about community revival. We've been talking about community revival since the beginning of the year, that we are on, on track for community revival. We want to see the community revived. Men, it starts with you. And that's not my mandate. That's the biblical mandate. And so we jump in here, and we're going to just look at two verses. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Be watchful stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now, again, ladies, I I want you to be watchful. I want you to stand firm in the faith. I want you to be strong, and I want everything you do to be done in love. But this text here, this is directed at men. Paul writes this to the church, and he's writing to godly men, men who want to follow God. He is writing to Christian men in the church, and he's saying, look, 
Stop acting like little boys that shave and start acting like men. It's what he's calling us to do here. Act like men. Um, that word there, act like men, you don't care, but I want to I, I impress you with my knowledge of Greek. Is it impressive when I have to look in my notes? It's not meant to be. I don't speak Greek, but, but, but I know how to use Greek language tools. And here's what it says. The word for that is andresima. Okay, you probably have to pronounce it differently than that if you're going to do it right. Uh, you can ask Vince later, but because but, he's in seminary now, so he's closer to that stuff than I am. But you know what that word means? That word means to have courage. In fact, some of your translations that may have softened this because they didn't want it to be overly masculine, some of your translations may, it may have, have changed this to be watchful, stand firm in the, face, in the faith, have courage, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. But, but this is distinctly masculine. When you look at the original language and the original context, this is a distinctly masculine verb. And it means to act like men and rooted in the DNA of that. And the DNA for men is to have courage. And so we're told to act like men. Be strong, be watchful, stand firm. And in the world we live in, manhood has been hijacked. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this, this is, uh, will feel strong, but I don't think we can argue it. Good, godly, strong men are an endangered species. That might feel harsh to some of you. It's not intended to feel harsh. But it is intended to shake you. Good, godly, strong men are an endangered species. It doesn't mean we're extinct. I look around the room and I see plenty. It doesn't mean we're extinct, but we are endangered. And what's happening is each generation... The number of good, godly men, good, godly, strong men who are courageous, who stand firm in the faith and are watchful and do all things with love. Those men, each generation, become fewer and fewer. And can I tell you why I'm concerned and why I pray for Vince daily and why I would ask you to do the same thing? Because we're about a generation away from it being critical. See, what happens is now when we take a poll, when we poll, okay, we find that there are plenty of good God strongly men that can still influence the society that we live in. But when we take a closer look at demographics, do you know what we see? We see that they're 60 plus. By and large, the good, godly, strong courageous men are 60 years and older. And there's so few of them 30 and younger. Doesn't mean there are none, but statistically speaking, there's so few 30 and younger. That's why we need Vince 
and we need to partner with Vince. That's why this orange curriculum is so important, because it's our job as a church to take what we do and take what families do and bring them together. That's why we take this so seriously. Because if we don't intentionally pour into this generation, then, man, we are in trouble. We are a generation away from floundering. But good, godly, strong men are becoming an endangered species. And instead, what's happening is culturally, we're replacing this with something else. Strong men, we get this, this sense that, that they're, they're just this, this bravado, this, you know, tough man. And being a real, you know what, listen, I love a long beard as much as the next guy. But when we think of what, what are men like, well, we got big bushy beards, right? And, um, and for some reason, have you ever noticed this, that the big bushy beard and the man bun go together? How does that work? Like, I know, I'll be really manly by, anybody here have a man bun? I'm not offending anybody, am I? Okay, um, I mean, I'm okay with it if I am. I just want to know. Um, but somehow I'll get the big bushy beard and then I'll compliment it with a bun. I'm not sure it works, right? But we have completely lost sight of what manhood looks like. And so we either, we're on one end of the spectrum or the other. Either we, we have this, this false bravado that doesn't work because then we, we have men that, that are too manly to love, too manly to serve, too manly to care, too manly to, to lower themselves in humility, or we go to this other end where we have people that are too sensitive and passive to make a difference. But biblically, there's another model for that, and, and we see that here when, when Paul says, look, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Let all that you do be done in love. And so we're going to deal with this a little bit as, as we get into the question then, well, what does is, what is being a godly man look like? Well, the answer is right there. That's the one. The, God, the answer is, is being right here. Well, we surround it. What does it mean to be a godly man? Well, it means that you're watchful. It means that you stand firm in the faith that you're strong, and that all you do is done in love. See, we have, man, we've jacked with men, haven't we? There's a book, uh, I'd highly recommend this book, it's called Tender Warrior um, by Stu Weber. Uh, it, it's a good 15, 20 years old now, so some of you may have read it, uh, but, but there's this thing that he, he writes in the book, it says, this has not been a great year for guys, and it was a while ago, let me tell you, it hasn't gotten better, Okay? what he says. He says, guys are in trouble. Manhood, once an opportunity for achievement, now seems like a problem to be overcome. Plato, St. Francis, Leonardo da Vinci, Vince Lombardi, you don't find guys of that caliber today. What you find is terrible gender anxiety. Guys trying too hard to be Mr. Right, trying to be the man who can bake a cherry pie, then go shoot skeet. Come back home and toss a salad Converse easily about intimate matters, cry if need be, laugh, hug, be vulnerable, perform passionately that night in the bedroom, and then the next day, go off and lift them bales of hay. That's, that's what we've created manhood to be, 
somebody that can do all of those things, and, and we can try really hard, and, and we can hit it for a second, but guys, being perfect, that's a terrible way to live. Trying to be perfect is a terrible way to live, and, and it won't work, and we're not equipped for it. And honestly, think about it. You can, you can teach a bear to ride a bicycle. Did you know that? You can teach a bear to ride a bicycle for a second. But it won't last. It's exhausting. And the bear would much rather be in the woods doing what bears do. And this is the problem we've, we've painted. This is the, the culture we've created for men. But biblically, we don't have to be lost. Here's what we have. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. And that is what being a godly man looks like. So let's break it down. First of all, be watchful. Being watchful means that you have to battle complacency. It is so easy to be complacent. The world makes it really simple to be complacent. Come home from work at the end of the day, that's the first thing we want to do. We want to relax. We want to unwind, right? We sit down. If we're really old-fashioned, we open the newspaper, right? Otherwise, we get on our phones, watch some TV. It's complacent. But godly men are watchful. Godly men are on look out. That word for watchful there has to do with standing on a wall and watching for the enemy. That's what that word means. That word has the idea of you being in the lookout tower and you watching for the enemy approaching and you being ready for it. You're being watchful. Men, you need to be watchful. You can't let a night go by I don't know who it is, but tell them to be watchful. Don't let a day go by without checking on the heart of your wife and children. See, men that are complacent, we assume everything is okay. Oh, our kids are going to friend's house. I'm sure that's fine. Teachers are pouring into our kids at school. I'm sure that's no big deal. I'm sure they're teaching them good stuff, right? Oh, Aubrey wants to go to that kid's house who I've never met and I don't know the parents. Yeah, whatever. It'll be fine, no big deal. But godly men are watchful. They check on their wives' hearts. They're experts in their wives. Men, you should be experts in your wives. You should be experts in your children. You should know where they are. You should know what they're doing. You should know who they're with. You should know what's being poured into them. You should be well-versed in the garbage that the culture wants them to believe about who they are, about where they come from, about what their sexuality means and what it doesn't mean. You should be well-versed. You should be watchful. You should know. It's impossible to be a godly man that is complacent. Listen, you need to invest you need to check on their hearts. You know why? Because that's your job. And you know what? I, I love this. Okay? So I hear Joe in the testimony, and Joe say, and, and I know Scott would agree with this too, um, our kids are watching. Right? And so part of the deal is I need to be the dad that I'm supposed to be. I need to be the father 
that I want to be, that God wants me to be. And you know why that's so cool? So listen, I hear Joe say that. Okay. Like, well, you know, we would all agree with that. But then this cool thing happens where, where um, because I have inside information, that Julia, his oldest, decides, hey, you know what I want to do? Because I've seen my parents do it. I want to lead a small group. So Julia gets on Right Now Media, and she watches a bunch of things, and she chooses a lesson that she wants to do. She writes her own questions and discussion stuff, and then she has her parents invite some of her classmates that she wants to pour into to say, hey, I got an idea. Wednesdays after school, come to my small group. And so last Wednesday, Julia had her first small group with I don't know how many girls that came and and they watched the video on right now and they had discussion and listen to me. That doesn't happen if you're complacent. It happens if you're watchful. Watchful and we stand firm in the faith. We battle apathy. Culture will tell you it just doesn't matter. Oh, it matters. We battle apathy because everything you do matters. Men, women, it doesn't matter, but husbands, fathers, especially you, everything you do matters. Everything you do makes a difference. You can't be apathetic. And standing firm in the faith implies, listen, if we, if we think about what this really means, it, standing firm in the faith does not mean that when something happens, then I'm, then then I'm going to get up and stand firm. Standing firm in the faith is something that is an, a present imperative. That means you're always standing firm in the faith. It doesn't mean that you're going to stand up when it gets hard, but that you're standing firm now so that when it happens, you are ready to face it firmly. There are too many men that I am aware of that are getting jacked up with porn. They're cheating on their wives. They're getting stuck with drugs and alcohol and other things. Why? Because they didn't have a plan. Because they weren't ready to stand firm. They were complacent. They were apathetic. They sat around and they thought, well, if this temptation ever comes, if this problem ever happens, well, then I will get up and I will stand firm and I will be steadfast. But they weren't ready and there was no plan and there was no way to stand firm. So you know what? When alcohol came, it was all too easy because there was no plan. When, when that woman at work started flirting with me, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have accountability. When those things on the internet get too tempting, I don't have a plan. See, but what I read here is godly men, they're not apathetic. They stand firm. They stand ready. They are never caught off guard. You know why? Because they're watchful. They know what's happening. They know what the world is like, and they stand firm, and they are ready to meet it when it happens, and they deal. And they're strong. They're not passive. They're not wimpy. They're strong. But you know what is odd about godly men? Godly men are not strong 
necessarily the way that the world tells you to be strong. Again, there's no false bravado here. This isn't strength because you can fix your own car. I, I can't, listen. I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not anywhere close to perfect. Is that better? <laughs> but I'm a godly man. And I strive to be even more so. I can't fix my own car. I couldn't grow a man bun if I wanted to. I don't hunt and shoot things. I don't even like to go fishing. Because you know what's the worst thing that happens when you go fishing? You catch one. And then you've got to deal with this disgusting thing on the end of your hook. That doesn't affect my manhood. You know why? Because being a godly man doesn't mean those things. Being a godly man means that you are tough and that you are tender that you are both of those things simultaneously at the right time in the right places. Look at Jesus. Jesus was tough. You wanted to exploit the people, he would brazenly call you out. You wanted to hurt the people that were less than, and he would take you head on. You wanted to send up stumbling blocks to worship, he would flip your tables over in full sight of everybody to see. He risked his life to call out people that needed to be called out because he was tough. But Jesus was tender. He offered grace and forgiveness where it was necessary. People that truly sought after him, he was tender. The brokenhearted, the downcast, the widow, the orphan, he poured out for. He wept at the tomb of his friend. He, stat, he, he, he stood up on a hill and he looked out over the city of Jerusalem and he wept bitterly at the fate of the people that lived there because he knew Jesus was tough and tender. And if, if you're going to be a godly man, you cannot be passive. You have to be tough. You have to be tender. You have to stand firm. It's the strength that's rooted in Christ. And here's the deal. Here's where it gets all wonky according to our world. You know how to have strength? You know how to be strong? Sometimes you do that in your weakness. See, I've been now in multiple small groups with both Joe and Scott. And I can tell you unequivocally that Joe and Scott are strong, tough men. But you know one of the ways I know that? is because I know in their humility, I know about their weakness. I know where they struggle. It's not false strength, but it's in their humility and their weakness. And so there's this key idea I need you to know when it comes to small groups. Leaders, you should know this too. But when you focus on sharing your strengths, you know what you do? You only create competition. But when you focus and you openly share your weaknesses, that's where you create community. So I'm not saying you walk into small group and you're like, hey, here's my biggest, deepest, darkest secret. 
But you know what? I remember a small group that I was in with both of those guys uh, just a, uh, this last semester and several other men in here. There were about 13 of us men that got together every Wednesday night and, and we, we, we went over um, things about being husbands and fathers and what that looks like and how it works. And you know what? None of us claim to be perfect, but we all shared where we struggle and we all grew because of it. Because when we struggle, it creates community because we do it together. And I would imagine... Okay, at least for me, and hopefully for the other men that were there, that we all would say that we grew together because nobody came in and had all the answers and nobody knew exactly and nobody was living perfectly, but we came in and we shared our struggles, we prayed together, we, we struggled together, we, we asked each other about life, and, and I think everybody moved forward because of that. And the last thing here we see is that godly men do all things in love. That's what it says. It says, so here's what you do. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And as the summative statement, it says here, so you know what? Do all things in love. It's battling selfishness. It's not about you. Okay. One of the things that I, I, I understand, oh, by the way, do all things with love. See, somebody here is thinking, I knew it was touchy-feely. I knew it was girly. I knew it was feminine. Oh, it's all about love. No, no, this is, this is that real love. This is that agape love. This is that love that serves. This is that love that puts other people first. You know what? That's manly love. With your wives, I want you to have that emotional kind of love. I want you to. With your children, I w listen, men, there is nothing more profound, I think, as a man of God being able to take your kids in your arms and hug them and kiss them, tell them that you love them, demonstrate that for them. That's so good. But that's not what this is talking about. I mean, that's good. Do that. Do that with your wives. Do it with your, your friends. Not the hugging and the kissing, but the other parts of it. Because that would cross a small group line. But what this is saying, do all things in love. Pour yourself out as a godly man for the sake of those that are in your life. Pour yourself out completely as a godly man for the sake of those that are in your life. Do nothing out of selfishness. Listen to me. Men, you were not created for downtime. I am so convinced, goes along with having a plan that we talked about earlier, I am so convinced that one of the reasons men get all messed up in affairs and porn and alcohol and all of those other things that stumbling blocks, I am convinced is because you have given yourself too much free time. You weren't designed for free times. You were designed to act like men, to be strong, to be watchful, to Stand firmly in the faith to do all things in love, which means you do all things for people that aren't you. That you pour yourself out for the sake of other people. That you act like Christ for those people in your life. You weren't created to have downtime. <laughs> you weren't designed for it. I'm not saying it's not nice to have a few minutes by yourself every once in a while. I'm not, I'm not saying vacations are a bad idea. All I'm saying is this. You weren't designed to be bored. This came up during our men's small group uh, in, in the spring. 
But you know what? Something that convicted me at the time, and hopefully other men too, is I, I sometimes, I go to bed with way too much energy than I should have. There are times when I go to bed at the end of the day, and I have not wrung myself out yet. Godly men wring themselves out for their wife, for their children, for their church, for their God. Godly men exhaust themselves. And you're like, but I'll burn out. No, you won't. Because you are strong in the strength of Christ. You're not standing on your own two feet. You know when you are the safest as a man is not when you have idle downtime where your heart can get stupid and your brain can run wild. You know where you are the safest as a man when you are fully dependent on the Holy Spirit of God to get you through one more night with your family. When you are sitting in the driveway of your car and you are getting ready to go in and you're saying, okay, okay, God, I'm going to go in and I'm going to check on my wife's heart and I'm going to pour into my kids and I'm going to exhaust myself. Then and only then am I going to go to bed. And God, I can't do it one more night, but you got to help me. That's the safest you are ever going to be as a man. Because our hearts are stupid. Exhaust yourself. Here's what I want you to be. I want you to be striving to be a godly man. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to watch this video. It's a video testimony of somebody who is not perfect, but somebody who strives to be and somebody who pours in to his wife and his children, okay? And you're going to hear about that um, actually kind of secondhand, okay? So let's watch this. Eric is definitely the spiritual leader in our family. Um, he, we've always gone to church, um, but he definitely has um, made faith a priority in our household. Um, he started um, reading the Bible on his phone and um, reading like daily devotionals. And he would always ask me, you know, like, hey, do you want to read this with, you know, do you want to put this on your phone? And he put it on my phone and um, he would ask me every once in a while, have you read it? Have you read it? I'm like, oh, no, I'm too busy. You know, I haven't, haven't got around to that. And then um, he would send me like devotionals that um, he'd be like, hey, let's do this together. And so I was really good at that for a while. <laughs> and then um, life happens and things got busy and it got pushed to the side. And um, he joined us a men's group with uh, Pastor Matt and um, which I was like, oh, that's great. This is right up his alley. Eric loves to talk. Um, he loves to ask questions. Um, I was like, good for you, go, it's great. Um, but there's no way I'm doing anything like that. And he was like, hey, small groups are starting. Do you wanna do one? And I was like, no, nope, don't wanna do it. Um, uh, you're fine, go ahead, you do it. And he's like, no, he's like, I really want you to do it. So he found one that we could both go to. Um, and made sure, like, he's like, don't worry, you don't have to share, just go see what it's like, it'll be fine. So I did, um, and it was good, did it, done, and I was like, okay, I'm good, done, don't have to do it anymore, and then something um, kind of pulled me to join another group, and so 
um, I did it without him and I joined um, a, a, another group with just women and I think mainly um, that was good because it was a place where I was comfortable going um, and I knew the people that were there. Um, but I remember the first night that I was supposed to go, I was sitting at the table and um, I was like five minutes and I was supposed to be there. And he's like, um, don't you have to get a small group? And I was like, yeah. And I was, I was stalling because I really just wasn't sure I was going to go. <laughs> and so he's like, go. He's like, I'll clean up. And he was like basically pushing me out the door. And I'm so glad he did. Um, it was a really awesome experience. I learned so much about myself. Um, and it just really taught me a lot. It made me think differently. Um, I started reading um, the Bible a lot more. Started talking about things with Eric um, and with my kids too. He's really awesome because he will um, read every night to the kids from the Bible individually. He takes that time and. I'm really proud of that and it's exciting to see that because um, even though he's busy and he's gone all the time for um, sports and coaching and he just makes it a priority in our family that even though we're very busy, there's always room um, and time for the word. And so um, he's just really led us in that direction and it's been really good for our whole family. I would tell um, men um, that Eric's leading our family in the way that he did. Um, I accepted it because of the way he did it. Um, I don't like to be told what to do. And he never said, you have to do this. It was always, let's do this together. And without Eric's push for me to join small group, um, I don't know, my life would be so much different. Um, just doing the small groups and um, just getting in the word more and making faith more of a priority for our family has really changed um, our lives. It's made me a better mom, it's made me a better wife, um, better teacher, a better daughter, a better friend. So here's the deal. Like I kind of want to be that guy when I grow up. Um, but I want us all to be like that. And, you know, you might be like Joe or, or Scott, you know, and they're like, yeah, we, we, we did small group because our wife told us to. And that makes life better. Let's be honest. When you do what your wife wants you to do, it makes life better. And, but, but here, you know what's cool? It doesn't stop there. Because I had a conversation with Eric. It was in small group one time, and, and it was Eric saying, you know what inspired him to get serious about his faith? Was looking at Joe. Joe, who started going to small group because his wife said, hey, let's go to small group. And he's like, all right, well, I don't want to make her mad, so we're going to go to small group, right? Happy wife, happy life. That's how it works. But then Joe starts to grow, and then I got a guy like Eric looking at Joe. They work together at school. They spend a lot of time together coaching, and he's looking at Joe, and he's like, I can do better. And, and, and he leads his family better, and his family responds. And now I can promise you there's people looking at him going, I can do better. And if you're on the, I mean, there, it's not just about you, but it cycles. Listen, we can do better. Men, act like men. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. 
be strong and do all things in love. That's simple. Here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to close the service by taking communion together. Okay, so we'll ask the, the elders to come forward, uh, men serving to come forward. And, and, and as we do this, okay, all we're doing here with communion is we are simply celebrating what God has done. We are celebrating this new covenant, this new relationship that we have. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ gave up his life on our behalf so that we could figure this whole thing out together anyway because without the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, there is no hope for any of us. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we come to the cross and we're made new when we submit to and follow Jesus. It's the heart of the gospel. And so as we come to communion today, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to use this as a time of reflection. I'm going to ask you to use this as a time to really check and ask God, what would you have me do? Use this as a time of repentance if it's necessary. A time to say, here's my heart, Lord. Do what you want with it. Okay, and here at Blessed Hope, you know this. If you've been here, if you're visiting with us, then, then this is how we do communion. We do it simply. Not a lot of pomp, not a lot of circumstance, not a lot of formality, um, but we, we practice it as simply as it was taught in Scripture. Okay? Who Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together, and he said, look, this, this bread, this is my body, and it's about to be broken for you. And it was on the cross. And he poured the cup, the wine into the cup, and he passed it, and he said, this, this is my blood. It's going to be poured out for you. It's a sign of what's to come, this new covenant that's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, so eat this and drink this and remember me. And so that's all we do as we come uh, forward to receive communion. We're, we're eating the bread and we're remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our behalf on the cross. And, and we drink the juice and we're remembering that we are in this new covenant of hope that's rooted in the person of Jesus. And so we invite you to come and take communion. After we take communion, um, you are welcome to, to go sit back down in quiet reflection or to quietly leave the sanctuary. Okay, uh, Your choice. Uh, I would encourage you, this last time we'll, we'll have a chance to talk, so I would encourage you, um, come downstairs, join us for fellowship, have some food. If you didn't prepare anything, don't worry about it. There's more than enough for everybody. Uh, let's sit and eat and visit and just grow closer to one another. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for this um, communion that we're about to enjoy together, that those who call themselves Christians are free to enjoy because of what you accomplished on the cross, because of what it means that your body was broken on the cross and what it means that your blood was poured out as a sign of the new covenant. And Father, we, we just revel in that and we thank you for the truth that, that you um, offer this grand forgiveness and that you offer this relationship with you through your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for that truth. We ask you to bless 
um, this communion as we, as we come and enjoy it together. We ask you to work in our hearts to change what needs to be changed, to fix what needs to be fixed. Father, to pull us closer to you in love. Father, we pray that in general, but specifically today, Father, we pray for men. We pray that men would lead well. We pray that we would have uh, a resurgence of good, strong, godly men and that we would see a community turn to you because of it. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for all things. Amen.